0: We hope you're having a good weekend. Hope you're enjoying it here. Uh, as Pastor Rich just said, we are going to continue on this morning in our new series called The Empowered Life. And really what we're doing with this series is we are wanting to concentrate on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit as we see him uh, described in the book of Acts. And we're not uh, going to be going through the book of Acts quite like we normally do when we teach through books of the Bible, where we kind of go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, but instead, we're Uh, focusing on and highlighting those passages where the Spirit is emphasized and where we see Him empowering the early church to carry on the message and the mission of Jesus. And so again, last week was week one in the series, and for those of you uh, who weren't here, if you missed it, uh, Pastor Chris kicked us off by giving us an introduction into the book of Acts in general, and then also giving us a a kind of introduction into the, the person of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we talked about was the fact that the spirit is, in fact, a person. He's not an it. He's not some impersonal force like what, you know, you watch in Star Wars. He's not that. He is a person. As well, we talked about the fact that the spirit has often been uh, neglected in the church at large. But not just the church out there, even at times here in our own church. And, and Chris went on to talk about the, the reason the spirit's often neglected is because we have misunderstood uh, things about him. We've misunderstood who he is. We've misunderstood what he's come to do. And so with that, as kind of a, a little bit of a, a recap of where we were at last week. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to continue us on. Uh, before we get to where we're going in Acts, I just, uh, again, we're starting out in this series. We're going to be in it for a while, the next uh, 15 or 16 weeks or so. And, and uh, I know for some of you, as you think about a series on the Holy Spirit, maybe uh, you're really excited about that. Like, you're, you're glad that, like, I mean, it's about time when we started talking about the Holy Spirit. I've been waiting for this or something. Um, but maybe for others of you, you're not excited. Maybe uh, you, you feel a little guarded or uh, closed off, and, and maybe it's because of past church experiences or uh, because of some other people in your life, or or maybe it's just even because of some misunderstandings and characters you yourself have had about the Spirit. And so if that's, if that's you, if you're in that second group, then I just want to uh, share uh, a little something with you that I, I came across this week as I was reading uh, a book by A. W. Tozer, and uh, I've quoted him a few different times when I've taught, and I, I really like him. I and mean, he's been dead for a while now, but uh, I still just really enjoy him. He's got he's got an edge to him. He's like a little bulldog. He's just you know nipping at you. But um, anyway, I was reading a book called The Counselor, and this is what he said. Well, actually, to set it up, he, he talked about how when growing up in Pennsylvania, out in rural, rural Pennsylvania, they would plant these corns of field. And then in order to scare off the crows from coming and then eating the seed that they just planted, they uh, would shoot a crow, and then they would tie a string around its feet and hang it upside down somewhere in the middle of the field uh, so as to scare off uh, the other crows to, you know, just stay away from that. And which, you know, is a little crazy. Like, have you ever heard of a (laughs) scarecrow? You know, do you you really have to murder this poor bird? But I guess his family was a little more mafia style than most. But um, so this is what they would do. They would kill this bird and hang it up. And here's what he goes on to say. This was supposed to scare off all of the crows for miles around. The crows would hold a conference and say, look, there's a field of corn, but don't go near it. I saw a dead crow over there. That's the kind of conference that Satan calls. And that is exactly what he has done. He has taken some fanatical, weird, wild-eyed Christians who do things that they shouldn't. And he has stationed them in the middle of God's cornfield. And he warns. Now, don't go near that doctrine about the Holy Spirit, because if you do, you will act just like these wild-eyed fanatics. He continues, though. He says, because there has been a lot of this weird stuff, God's children are frightened. And as soon as you start to talk about it, they run for cover. They say, oh, no, none of that for me. I have seen the dead crows out there in the middle of the field. Well, my brother, I will not be frightened out of my rightful heritage I will not be scared out of my birthright because some others didn't know what to do with their birthright or have found something else to do with it that has nothing to do with the birthright. I want all that God has for me. And I just think that's the spirit that I think the Lord wants us to have here is, I want all that God has for me. And so I just want to challenge you, if, if perhaps as you've thought about this series, you have been tempted to check out or to disengage Uh, I just want to ask you to to not do that. You see, I was thinking about it this week. You you know why none of us are, are worried about getting a counterfeit $3 bill? Because there is no such thing as a real $3 bill, and therefore there's not counterfeit $3 bills. But you know why we're all worried about getting a counterfeit $20 bill? Because there are actually counterfeit $20 bills. That's why when you go to the store, they hold it up in the light or they get the marker on it, because they're out looking for counterfeits. And in the same way, I think that uh, the fact that there are distortions and abuses around the things of the spirit, I think only further proves that there is the real thing. Because just like a criminal wouldn't counterfeit a $20 bill, I don't think Satan would counterfeit something if it wasn't real, if there wasn't something there. And so again, I just want to appeal to you that if you're, you're tempted to check out, to, to really engage here, to, to search the scriptures. To search the scriptures and just say, Lord, give me, uh, just in a fresh way, uh, eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you have to say about your Holy Spirit and about his work in my life. And so, before we jump into where we're going here in Acts, let me just open us up in a word of prayer and, and ask the Lord to help us, to give us those eyes. And so pray with me. Father, we just come before you now, Lord, and we just, Lord, we just, we do, as Tozer said, we want all that you have for us. Lord, don't let us miss out because uh, we're afraid or because we're afraid to look foolish or, or whatever it is, Lord. I just pray that you would, uh, by your Spirit, help us to have all that you have for us. And we just, again, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to know um, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week in starting out this series, we read the first 11 verses in the book of Acts in chapter 1. And what we saw in those first 11 verses is that Jesus has uh, he's risen from the dead. He has now spent 40 days with his disciples. And and in those 40 days, he's been teaching them about the kingdom of God and about the fact that the spirit was going to be coming uh, to empower them. Uh, He says there in verse four of Acts one, uh, he tells them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. From the Father, Uh, he says, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, And then a few verses later, right before he ascends, his his literal last words before he goes into heaven is Acts 180 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Chris uh, talked about that verse a little bit last week, and, and he talked about how in many ways Acts 1-8 serves as an outline of the book of Acts. And, and what we mean by that is Luke has laid out the story here of the early church by showing that the gospel and the church began to spread from Jerusalem and then into Samaria and then into the ends of the earth. But I want to go back uh, and look at the first part of that verse where it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, again, we've entitled this series, The Empowered Life. So this morning, I just want to, as we begin to move through the story of the early church, as we uh, begin to look at it in the book of Acts, I just want to think about and talk about this idea of power, of receiving power from the Spirit. And the the questions I want to try to answer this morning are this. Number one, what is this power? Number two, why do we need it? And then finally, number three, who is it for and how? Do we receive it? And so starting with that first question, what is this power? Well, again, if we go back to Acts 1-8, we see that this power is something uh, that, that happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Uh, Luke in his gospel, the, the book he wrote previous to this, says it's slightly different in Acts or in Luke 24-49. He says, And behold, this is Jesus speaking, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, that Greek word power there, both in the Luke passage and Acts 1, 8 is the Greek word dunamis. And that word means strength or or might or the ability to do. And many of you are probably you've heard this in sermons before. But but that uh, is where we get the English word for dynamite. And and the story there was that a a Swedish chemist was playing around with some chemicals and they went boom and he discovered something new. And so he called his uh, friend who was a Greek scholar and he said, what is the what's the Greek word for explosive power? And this is the word that he gave him dunamis. And so the Swedish uh, chemist called his new discovery dynamite. And so I think uh, when we think of this word power, uh, what I think the Lord is trying to communicate to his disciples is he's, he's trying to show them. And to encourage them that that one of the roles or one of the outcomes of the Holy Spirit coming on them is that they will be filled and ignited with power. And that power will be the the thing that will enable them to do what he has called them to do. And the amazing thing as I begin uh, begin to think about and realize this week and as I was reading through different things, I, I begin to realize that this power... This power that's promised in the Holy Spirit is the same power that Jesus himself experienced while he walked and while he ministered on this earth. You see, I think maybe we've wrongly assumed at times that Jesus did what he did on earth. And by that, I mean his teachings and his miracles and his healing and and all of that, that that in living a perfect life, that he was able to do those things um, simply because he was the son of God. And, and Jesus was the son of God. Don't hear me saying that. Um, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is when you look at the scriptures, what you see particularly in the book of Luke is that Jesus lived the life that he did. Jesus was able to do the things that he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus didn't cheat while he was here on earth. In other words, it wasn't a, a scenario of like Superman dressed up like Clark Kent, right? No, Jesus became fully man. Yes, he was fully God, but he became fully man. And when he was on this earth, he was tempted as a man. He didn't resist it because he was God, but because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't heal the sick because he was God, but because he was filled and empowered by the Spirit. Now, maybe that's a a new thought for you. And and there is, you know, there's different thoughts on this. And so uh, there is a mystery here. But let me just walk through a couple of scriptures that really talk about this. And in, in Luke one, we're told that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told in Luke three that Jesus, before he uh, started his earthly ministry, that he was baptized by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit descended on him like a dove. We're told there later on in Acts or in Luke four, uh, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned uh, from the Jordan and was led by the spirit. Into the wilderness. And so the Spirit of God empowers Jesus and leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He resists that temptation. And then in verse 14, we read this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then right after that, he goes into a synagogue. And he's handed the book of Isaiah. And he opens it up. And this is what he reads. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says that he tells them that this has just been fulfilled in your midst. In other words, he's saying, I'm the one that the Spirit has come upon to minister, to do these things. Later on in Luke 5, it says that, that the power of the Lord was with him to heal the sick. In Luke 6, 19, it says that as Jesus was healing the crowds and as people were pressing around him and touching him, that, that, that when they did that, power came out of him and he healed them all. And there's other verses I could show you which, which talk about how Jesus did what he did by the power. But, but one final one here is in Acts 10. And it says Peter's giving a sermon to uh, the Gentiles in Cornelius's house. And in Acts 1038, it says this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. So again, I think that we could argue that Jesus, even though he was and still is God, that, that while he was here on earth, that at some level... And again, I've already acknowledged this. This is a mystery. But at some level, he laid aside his divine rights and power. And instead, he walked out his life here on earth by relying on the power of the spirit to lead uh, him to be able to to minister to those on earth. Now, why is this important? Well, It's important because Jesus is telling us here in Acts 1 that part of receiving the Holy Spirit is receiving his power. And that power will give you the ability to do what you otherwise couldn't do in your own strength. And so again, what is this power that we're talking about? It's the divine strength and might which gives you the ability to do what God has called you to do. And So let's go on to that next question, which is this. Why do we need it? Well, it should be obvious, but in case that it's not, why do we need it? Well, if we go back to Acts 1a, where we see that there is a really strong link between needing power and being Jesus's witnesses to the world. And so why do you need power? Well, you need power so that you can be uh, and do what Jesus has asked you to do. And not only that, if you look at the the New Testament and begin to read it, you'll see that you uh, need the Holy Spirit and need power uh, to accomplish, I think, these three things. Number one, you need power and you need the Holy Spirit so that you can be with Jesus so that you can become like Jesus and so that you can do what Jesus did. You see, if Jesus has left you and I to be his witnesses on this earth, to be the ones to tell people about him, to represent him to the world, then I think that means that we have to spend time with him. We have to be with him. In other words, I, I don't know if we can represent him uh, if, if if we're not intimately and uh, in, in, involved with him in such a way that we actually know him. And so how can you and I today in 2018 spend time with Jesus? Can we hop on a spaceship and go find him somewhere as, as if that's how it works? No, we can't do that. And we don't even need to do that because instead we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And as Pastor Chris talked about last week, the role of the Spirit is to facilitate Christ's presence on the earth, to facilitate Christ's presence to you and to me. And so what this means is that when we pick up the scriptures and, and as we yield to the Spirit, he illuminates them for us. He points, them, uh, points us rather to Jesus. It means that when we pray, that, that we can actually experience the presence of Jesus means we can hear his voice. We can actually feel Jesus' love for us. In fact, I, I, I think that, that Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 3, there's this beautiful prayer. I, just, I love these words. they become so precious to me over the last years. I've just been uh, praying them over my kids. And here's what, here's what Paul says as he prays. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Here's what he says. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth. And the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that by it you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so let's go back and look at those words. What is Paul praying? He's praying that these dear Ephesian believers would be strengthened by the spirit's power in their inner being. And the way that the spirit would strengthen them is that he would help them to understand just how much Jesus loves them. And I don't think Paul had in mind that the spirit would help them to understand that just theologically. No, I think he's praying that they would experience that uh, uh, experientially. That they would know that they would know that they know that they know that Jesus loves them. And so, again, I think that part of the spirit's role in empowerment is to allow us to be with Jesus. But but not only that. Again, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see over and over again that the spirit and the power that he brings helps us to actually change and to become like Christ. And there's so many verses on this. In fact, in the fully mature class, we have a whole week where we just talk about how what's the spirit's role in our sanctification, in us becoming like Jesus. You see, uh, in uh, Romans 8, 29, we're told what the father's goal for us is. His goal is for you and I to be conformed into the image of his son. The father wants a lot of little Jesus running around the earth. And to do that, that is accomplished through the spirit. And earlier in Romans eight, we're told that we are to put to death the misdeeds of our body by the spirit. You and I fight and overcome sin and temptation by the Spirit. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. And so Peter's saying there that that through the power of the Spirit, you and I can actually live a godly life. We can actually become like Christ. And so the Spirit enables us to be with Jesus. He enables us to become like Jesus. But not just that, he also empowers us to do what Jesus did. Again, if we go back to that Acts 10 passage where Peter is talking about the Lord, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So how can you and I do what Jesus did? The exact same way that Jesus did, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says as much in Romans 15. He says this, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elikram, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So how did the Apostle Paul preach the gospel? How did he how did he heal the sick and perform signs and wonders? Well, he says he did it by the power of God. You see, Jesus was so clear in Acts 1. He didn't want his disciples to go anywhere or to try to accomplish anything apart from the Spirit. He knew that they could not do what he asked them to do unless they received the Spirit and were empowered by him. And then and only then could they fulfill what he called them to do. In fact, I was, I was thinking about it this week, and in many ways... I think you could argue that that the Old Testament is a picture or an illustration of what it looks like for people to try to obey God and to follow him without the spirit. You see, if, again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you just read story after story of of people failing. And, and even the ones who, who seem to to do OK for a time, uh, what you'll find is that they do it because they're empowered by the spirit. But then once the spirit leaves, they, they screw up again. And so that's why you come to a place where uh, you read in Ezekiel 36, God just eventually says enough is enough. He says, I'm going to do something here and I'm not even doing it necessarily for your sake. I'm doing it for the sake of my holy name, which you have been profaning to the nations. And here's what he says. He says, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit, which then later on, he says he clarifies by saying what kind of spirit he says, I will put. My spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. So we see here that God's cure for wayward humanity was to give us his spirit. And then and only then will we be able to do what he has called us to do. Uh, John Stott in his commentary in Acts puts it like this. He says, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding with the spirit, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ likeness of character apart from his fruit and no effective witness without his power as a body without breath is a corpse. So the church without the spirit is dead. And so, again, why do we need the spirit and why do we need the power that he provides so with that, number one, we can be with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus and so that we can do what Jesus did. So let's move on to that last question, which has two parts to it, and that is this. Who is the spirit for and therefore who is his power for and how do we receive him and how do we receive his power? And so let's jump back into our story here in Acts. Uh, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter two. Again, just to fill out what's taken place. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's told the disciples to wait until they're clothed with power. Uh, At this point, they they appoint a man named Matthias to replace Judas, who betrayed the Lord. And then we uh, see again that they're waiting. And in chapter 2, verse 1, here's what we read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Philegra, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were saying they are filled with new wine. And so the spirit comes, and he comes dramatically, and he comes suddenly on the disciples as they are waiting. And again, if we go back to that picture of dynamite, I think it's fair to say that that's something Powerful has just taken place. And we don't have time this morning to really go into all the different symbols of fire and, and wind and even the fact that it's the day of Pentecost. But, but, but basically, what I want us to, to see here is that, that what Jesus promised in Acts 1 4 in Acts, and in Acts 1 8, that this has just taken place here in Acts 2. And apparently, it was, it was so spectacular, it was so dramatic that a big crowd begins to gather around. And, and some of them uh, actually begin to accuse uh, the believers of being drunk. And we didn't read it, but Peter immediately stands up and he defends them. He's like, guys, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. And then someone in the crowd's like, yeah, but it's five o'clock somewhere. Uh, just kidding. That's not right. But uh, I don't think I don't think uh, Jimmy Buffett was alive yet. But um, anyway, no, he, he stands up. He's like, no, you guys have it wrong. You want to know what this means? Well, let me tell you what this means. And then he immediately launches into this sermon. And so let's pick it up in Acts 2 16. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that gray, great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved so Peter starts out this defense. He starts out this sermon by by quoting from the Old Testament passage in Joel, uh, which similar to Ezekiel, talks about this day coming when when the Lord will pour out his spirit, when the spirit of the living God will come and live in uh, inside of those who call on the name of the Lord. And then Peter, from there, he goes on to share the gospel He begins to tell this people about the good news of Jesus, the fact that he he died for our sins, the fact that he rose from the dead. And then in verse thirty three and still talking of Jesus, he says this being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so Peter is saying, look, this prophecy that we've all memorized and read, uh, In the Old Testament, in Joel, this is being fulfilled right now. The day has come. The spirit has been given. And then as if to give one final big punch, he says in verse 36 to them, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so he even calls them out. He says, look, you are the ones who crucified the very Messiah, and then in verse 37, it says this Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And there's so much in this sermon. I know I'm flying through it quickly and maybe we'll have time in later weeks to get back into it. But, but, but I just want to go back to this question I asked. Who is the Spirit for? And therefore, who is this power for? And how do we receive it? Well, What does Peter say in the sermon? He says the spirit and therefore the power he brings, as it says in verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then in case we're still confused as to who that would include, he says this. It's for your sons and your daughters. It's for young men and old men. And actually, it's even on male and female servants. And then at the end of verse 21, he says it's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. They will be saved. In other words, what is God saying here through the prophet Joel and through Peter? He's saying this gift, this promise of the Holy Spirit, it is for the young and it's for the old. It's for men and it's for women. It's for the rich and it's for the poor. It's for the Jew and it's for the Gentile. My spirit is for all. And so that's how that's who the spirit is for. And so how do we receive the spirit in his power? Well, look again at verse 38. It says this. They say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter told them this. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, what does Peter say? He says, you and I receive the Spirit by calling on the name of the Lord. As it says in Joel, or as Peter says later on, by repenting of our sins. And, and Peter there adds, and being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some com- commentators talk about how, uh, because this was a Jewish audience, how uh, the baptism would have been uh, so crucial to them, uh, even though we know that, that technically baptism isn't uh, what saves us. But, but the point here is this that, that in order to receive the Spirit, you and I must by faith repent and put our faith and our trust in Him. And when we do that, at that moment, the spirit of the living God comes and he lives inside of us. And so if you're here this morning and you have never done that, if, if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, then, then you can do that right now. That's why we call this the good news. This is really good news. You can have your sins forgiven. And not only that, you can have the spirit of God come and live inside of you. And as I've already said, the Bible is so clear. The spirit's going to come into your life and he's going to begin to change you from the inside out. He's going to begin to to conform you in to the image of Christ. And so, again, if you've never done that, then I just want to urge you to do that today. You can just check out from listening to me and you can just begin to pray and say, Lord, I, I want this. I want to receive uh, the forgiveness that that comes to me through Jesus. And I want to receive this promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, for the rest of us who who have taken that step, who have who are followers of Jesus, I want to address just one more thing here. Because maybe for some of you, you're thinking, really? I mean, really, is this is this really what it is? Is this all that it is? Maybe you're thinking, look, I I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I've repented and put my faith in him. I I even know that the spirit of God lives in me. But I got to be honest, my experience was nothing like what I just read about in Acts 2. And frankly, I'm not sure I've ever seen or experienced much of his power in my life. Well, if that's you, let me just say a couple of things here as we start to close. First off, I think that experience that we just read about in Acts 2 uh, is in many ways unique. And what I mean by that is I'm, I'm not sure that we should expect that moment that we received the spirit, that, that there would be wind and fire and speaking in other languages. I mean, I think for some of us, when we receive the spirit, Uh, And when we came to Jesus, it was a really dramatic and emotional thing. But for others of us, it wasn't. For others of us, it was praying in our living room with our mom and dad when we were six. And and but that's not the point. The point is, is is the spirit of God in you? Did you come to Jesus and receive the spirit? And the way that you know is, is have you changed since coming to Jesus? Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in you? And if there is, then praise God. I mean, as we sing about that, when we're singing, I'm no longer a slave, I'm a child of God. And then we flashed up that passage from Galatians. What we see is that one of the roles of the spirit is to give us assurance and to remind us that we are children of God. And so if you sense that, then that's great. Celebrate that. However, though, I want to I want to say this. I personally believe, again, that that when we come to Christ, At that moment at conversion, you and I are indwelled by the spirit of God. However, I also believe that there is more that you and I can have an experience. When you walk through the book of Acts, one of the things you'll see is that Luke talks about over and over again, the the believers being filled with the spirit. He describes certain ones of them as being full of the spirit. He says that in Acts six, when talking about Stephen. He says he was a man full of the Spirit. He says it again about Barnabas. He says, Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. And so what's the implication there? Well, I think the implication is twofold. One, I think the implication is that you can be a Christian and have the Spirit of God indwelling you. He lives inside of you, but you might not be filled with him in that moment. In other words, what I'm getting at is is that I think that there, there is one baptism in the Spirit, which happens at conversion, But I think that throughout our lives, there can be multiple fillings. And usually what we see in the book of Acts is that those fillings come when believers are stepping out and taking risk for Jesus. See, again, I think that the baptism in the spirit happens at conversion and it is unrepeatable and it is permanent. However, I think that the filling of the spirit can happen multiple times throughout our lives and it is repeatable and it is not permanent. And anyways, I I like to think about it. We just celebrated my daughter's birthday and we had all these balloons around our house and I was blowing them up, uh, which made me realize I don't, I'm very out of shape because I was very tired afterwards. But the thing about a balloon is you can blow air into a balloon and, and, and not very much air and you can, you know, pinch it off and say, does this balloon have air in it? And the answer is yes. But can you blow more air into it? Yes. I think in the same way, there's there's more of the spirit that that can be breathed into our lives and that can empower us. Again, we see this multiple time in the book of Acts. The believers are are baptized and filled with the spirit in Acts 2. But later on in Acts 4, they come together and they pray and we're told there that the place was shaken and they were all filled with the spirit. And what did they do? They spoke the word of God boldly. As well, in Acts 9, uh, we're told of Saul, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, his conversion. It says that he received the Spirit. But then while confronting a guy named uh, Elamus in Acts 13, we're told there by Luke that he's filled with the Spirit, that Paul is filled with the Spirit as he rebukes him. And so again, what I'm trying to argue here is this, that I think for some of you, if you're feeling like there's a disconnect or, or a lack of power in your life, then perhaps there actually is. Perhaps there is a lack of power. Perhaps you need to ask the Lord to fill you afresh with his spirit. Perhaps you need to step out and take a risk for Jesus and actually put yourself in a situation where you need the power of the spirit. You see, it's easy to say, I don't have any power when you haven't done anything lately that would require that you need power. And so we need to take risks for Jesus. I mean, there is nothing more exhausting in this life than trying to follow the Lord without the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more exhausting than to try to share the gospel or to minister to the sick or to do any of those things when you're not dependent upon and leaning on and, 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 and being filled with the power of the Spirit. You see, there's this verse that's just been going around my head for the last few years. And, and when I came across it a couple years ago, it just jumped off the page at me. Which is funny because you know I've, I know I've read this verse uh, uh, dozens of times, and the thing that's so interesting about it is, is something is said very similar in the book of Matthew, but in the book of Luke it's just slightly different, and it's in Luke eleven. It says this: This is Jesus here talking about prayer. He says, "What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion." If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So my challenge for us this morning is let's just let's do that. Let's find out how good our father is. Let's find out how much more of a God he is. He says, how much more? And so I just want to close in prayer here and, and just to challenge you to, just this week, just to be, again, looking for opportunities to take risks for Jesus. But before you do, just ask the Lord, say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, empower me to, to be a witness for you. And I believe that if you do, he will. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for these precious moments here to, to look into your scriptures. And Lord, I know that these things that at times are um, hard to understand. But Lord, I just thank you for your word. And I just pray that, Lord, you would really drill these things home in our hearts. God, that you would make Lemworth Road and the people uh, who attend Lemworth Road, the kind of people who are empowered with the Spirit, who live their lives full of the Spirit, and who take risks for Jesus. Lord, the kind of people who who are looking for ways to be your witnesses. And so, Lord, we need you. Come fill us, Lord. Fill us afresh today. For those who are weary, for those who maybe have been trying to follow you in their own strength and their own might, I pray that today you would just remind them that, that that's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're supposed to follow you and do what you did and to, to, to become like you through the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.